Uh, so my name is Brian Roskin. For those of you who don't know who I am, I'm an intern here at Green Tree Community Church. I currently go to Covenant Theological Seminary uh, down the street here, not too far, and uh, we'll be entering my last semester there uh, this fall, and Lord willing, we'll graduate in December and be done with school, and I will not go back to school anymore, and school will be done. I went to law school and took the bar exam, and I said that to myself then, and that was a lie. But I mean it this time. There will be no more school. My wife doesn't believe me, but I mean it. Um, And also, so uh, the Lord has called uh, me and my family and uh, another group of core people to go and plant a church out in St. Charles, which you guys have been hearing about for maybe two years or so now. And uh, Green Tree, God has used Green Tree as the main means through which this is being propelled forward through the generosity of this church, the leaders, through your generosity and giving and their vision and seeing God's kingdom expand as new churches are planted. So our thanks go out to you and uh, I'm hopeful that one day the people of St. Charles will be thankful for your generosity as well. So that's enough about me. Let's talk about why we're here today. We are walking through women of the Bible. And today we reach the story of Mary. And we're going to be looking at how God restores humanity through this story. So I have, um, like probably many of you, someone in my life who likes to send me emails. And I'm talking about the kind of emails with the jokes. And they seem to forward every single one of them to me, whether they're funny or not. And so that person is my dad. And uh, my dad was here for the first service, and I think he turned a little red when I started to talk about this. Uh, But, you know, it's his way of saying, hey, I'm thinking about you, I care about you, here's a funny email, which may or may not be funny. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, from time to time, he may uh, send the same email twice, right? And I'll see the title, and I'll think, he sent this to me two months ago, Uh, he's getting old, he can't remember, and so uh, I will delete it without reading it. And I'll feel kind of bad. And I apologized to him this morning. I said, I'm sorry, dad. I just, you know, I can't read it. But there are also times though, where uh, I'll open it up, even though I've seen it before. And uh, on, you know, almost every occasion, I'll get something from it, right? I'll laugh or I'll chuckle, or at least I'll think of him and go, man, you know, that's nice of him. And the story of Mary is the same way for us, Right, Since we have become Christians or since we've been coming to church, either as young people or if we come to Christ later in life, as December rolls around, you can guarantee somebody's going to talk about Mary. And so you hear July 31st, we're going to talk about Mary, we're having Christmas in July, and you can think, I'm checking out, right? I am familiar with this story, I can take this Sunday off, I'm going to think about who the Cardinals should pick up with, uh, you know, at the trade deadline. But... God takes that which is most familiar and can reveal wonderful truths. And so today, as we encounter the story of Mary, for how many ever times you've encountered it, my prayer is that God will reveal something to you today that will encourage you where you are. So our God is a God of restoration. He restores the lost years that the locusts have eaten. He restores the lost years of our lives. He restores our children when they wander away from the fold of God. He's going to restore this creation from all that sin has done to it. So today, though, we ask, 
How does God restore humanity? How does God go about restoring humanity? You see, we are people who desperately need to be restored. Right? And I'm not talking about the car in the garage that has a little rust over the bumper that might need some new paint. I'm talking about the car in the front yard, which hasn't been mowed for 15 years, has no engine, and nobody has any idea that it's even there. That's the kind of restoration that we need, and that's the kind of restoration that God offers to us in his son Jesus. So to help us see how God goes about restoring humanity, we're going to look at the Annunciation today, which is when the angel comes and talks to Mary and tells Mary that she's going to give birth to the Savior of the world. So look with me as I read from God's word in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. So Luke, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, if you have your Bibles with you. Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. If not, it's in your handout and it's over both my shoulders. You are surrounded by the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Pray with me, please. Father, we are, uh, we are grateful for um, your action in history. We are grateful that you are a God who comes down and operates within what we are doing here. That you call people to be a part of your restoration. We are thankful that we have your word which points us back to this moment in time so that we too can re be reminded of just how you act. We pray today, Father, that uh, through your Holy Spirit you might illuminate our minds, that your word would come to life for us, that in fact that which is familiar might have something deep for us to understand. And so God, I pray these things that you would do for the glory and through the power of your name, it's Jesus Christ, amen. So let's look at the text here and see if we can find out about how God goes about restoring humanity. So the story starts off, verse 26 tells us that God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary to tell her something. So we have to just pause right here, right? Because uh, we've got an angel coming down to go tell Mary something. And I am I'm confident that in a room this size, there are lots of us who may think, okay, uh, that's a little bit far-fetched, right? I don't really see angels coming down from heaven. I haven't seen them. I've been around for a while. In fact, I don't know anybody who's seen an angel. 
So what we do then is we can say, all right, this part of the story, you know, it might be pointing to something else or, you know, I'll just dismiss it. We'll take the moral imperatives of scripture, right? Be good, do good things. We like that. But when it talks about the supernatural occurring, we can dismiss this as being something less than historical. We can dismiss this as something which probably didn't happen. But as you look around, there are people in this room who have experienced God in a very real and tangible way. And when they read stories like this, it doesn't cross their mind twice that something like this could have happened because they have encountered God. And so if you find yourself being one of these people who might, might be a little skeptical about what's going on here, my encouragement would be to ask. Talk to people who don't have a problem with this kind of passage and see how it is that God has worked in their life. And for you, if you are the kind of person who has encountered God in this way, that is your testimony. That is how you spread the gospel. That is how you proclaim it, by standing up and saying, this is how God has worked in my life, in my heart, and it is real. So let's go back, though, to the text and see what else we can find. So look at verse 28 and on. We see there, the angel comes to Mary, and the angel gives her a greeting, calling her favored. And Mary responds with confusion, and the angel repeats the greeting, saying, you know, don't be afraid. Right? And uh, with the angel appearing to Mary, as you can imagine, uh, she was probably terrified. In fact, Scripture sets us up to think that. Fear is the expected response when people encounter an angelic being. We see this in Exodus 15, Judges 6, Judges 13, 2 Samuel 6, Isaiah 6, on and on. The expected response is fear. In fact, if an angel were to appear in this room right now, our noses would be so far into that carpet, we would be very happy that this is a new building with new carpet and not too many stains were on it. But you see, the text is talking about something different here. To be sure, right, the angel assures her, says, don't be afraid. So that's part of this. But her response has nothing to do with fear. Her response is one of confusion. Who is this and why is this person calling me favored? I'm a woman in the first century. I live in poverty. I've done nothing to deserve this. In fact, I have sin in my life. All of those things combined would lead Mary to be confused by this greeting. And you say, yeah, well, sure. You know, this is Mary, the mother of God, our Savior. Of course, she's favored. And the word for favor here is grace. She's received grace. And so here's the mother of Jesus, and she received grace, and that doesn't seem too far-fetched. But the fact of the matter is, this announcement to Mary of calling her favored, this happens before she does anything. Mary has not done anything to deserve the blessing of God here. There is nothing meritorious in her life. She hasn't done anything to deserve this calling of being favored by God. God has just bestowed it upon her because that's how God is. So there's a movie, Goodwill Hunting. My hope is that a lot of us have seen it. But in the movie, there's a, uh, a, a troubled 20-something-year-old kid from Boston who is also very brilliant. 
And he works at an elite university uh, in the United States, and he likes to drink, and he likes to get in trouble. And uh, there's a scene where he's, he's uh, working outside this elite university, and there's this uh, difficult math problem on the board, and he's the janitor. And he's mopping late one night, and he just solves the problem. So he's a brilliant guy. But his drinking and fighting gets him into trouble with the law. But the university has recognized that he's something special. And so the professors have asked the judge to give him a little bit of leniency. Let him go see this therapist who might be able to help him and get him on the right path because he would be so valuable for humanity. And so he does. This character is Matt Damon. And Matt Damon goes to a therapist, and the therapist is Robin Williams. And in the midst of their talking, it's discovered that uh, Matt Damon was the, um, he, he had suffered abuse as a kid. And so that issue begins to kind of come out. And in one of their meetings, Robin Williams looks at him and says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon says, I know. He says, no, it's, it's not your fault. And he says, I know. It's not your fault. He starts to get mad. I know, I've got it, let's move on. And the scene continues until finally Matt Damon is weeping because what he knew in his head to be true was then transferred to his heart. He then in that moment understood that it was not his fault. And you see, that is how the grace of God works. As God restores humanity, his first line is to place grace upon them. He places grace and favor upon his people. It is the grace that, that restores Mary before she's ever called to do anything. But just like Mary, I struggle too to understand that grace. Just like Matt Damon in that story, I struggle to understand the grace. And my assumption is probably that you do too. I can get in this line of thinking that grace is given to me because I do good things, because I'm so valuable to God. And then when I mess up, right, I'm in despair. And then I do well, and then I'm in despair. And then I do well, and then I'm in despair because of my actions. And God has never given us that as the roadmap for how we are to, to view ourselves. And so what happens is I remind myself of the gospel message, that I have grace in, found in Jesus Christ that I'm declared to be righteous because of his actions. And I know that in my head. And then I have Christian friends who are around me, and I tell them what's going on. And they say, Brian, you are favored by God. You have received his grace. That is not how you are to think. And I say, I know that. And you may think the same thing, and you can have a pastor stand up before you and raise his hands and say, people of God, you are favored by your Lord. He has declared you righteous when you believe in his son. And we can say, I know. It is not until that grace goes from here to here that we begin to be restored. But what about the circumstances that we face? Right, God, we see, restores, helps to restore humanity through his grace and that can change us. But what about all of the impossible situations that we find ourselves in, that we find our society in, our world in? What will God do about those? How does God restore humanity through that? In the first century, Mary was in a social setting where women were nearly powerless. Their ability to own land was almost none. 
Land was passed to the male heir so that women didn't really have a chance to own property. No say in the government, no say in what would happen. The temple, they would worship separate from the men. And on the rare occasion where they would worship together, uh, the prominent seating was always given to men. Men could divorce their wives if they burned the dinner, and women could not divorce at all. This is the world that Mary lived in. These were her circumstances, which seemed to be unchangeable. With all of these circumstances piled up against her, up against first century women, I'm nearly certain that there would be a sense of hopelessness which would overcome them from time to time. How are things ever going to change? As further context, we have to look back in the biblical story. We go back to God's creation in the garden. He creates man and woman, Adam and Eve, and they're very good. And he tells them, don't eat from this tree. One thing you can't do. And Eve goes and takes the fruit as we read, and she takes it and she eats it. And she gives it to her husband, and he does the same. The context for the first century woman was one which showed sin entering through Eve. And as a result of that sin, brokenness and destruction entered into the world. It severed relationships between people and people, people and their creation, and people and their God. And as a result of the sin, God placed very specific curses on the man, on the woman, on the serpent. In particular, one of the curses placed upon the woman was her childbirth. God cursed childbirth. And here it is in verse 31, that God restores all of that. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It is through the very thing that God cursed that he brings the Savior of the world who will undo all that is cursed from sin. It is through a woman who is seemingly powerless, an impoverished woman, a descendant of Eve, the Redeemer enters into the world through her. You see, the curse of God is no match for his grace. Grace wins every time. And there is great dignity which is placed upon womanhood here. God had a plan to restore all of humanity from the beginning of time. And here at this moment in history, the one who knows the plan the best, who has it most fully revealed to her, is Mary. It's Mary. God loves women. And he shows it so clearly here. And the Savior who is sent is nothing less than the King. The person is Jesus who will sit on the throne of David for all time. There will be no end to his reign. His kingdom shall have no end. He is the one who has all power. In the circumstances that Mary found herself being powerless, the one who has all power enters in and restores it all. Nothing is impossible with God. I have a friend who was a uh, mountain climber. And uh, he was such a good mountain climber that he would lead expeditions up these mountains. And uh, one time, taking a group of people up the mountain, they reach, uh, you know, they're about to the top, and the weather starts to change. 
you know, like you're watching a movie or something. And they make the decision, he makes the decision uh, that they're going to keep going. They're going to summit the peak of the mountain. And so he gets everybody up there. Everybody climbs the mountain and they all make it up there. And the weather continues to change more rapidly than maybe they thought. And so he hurries everybody off. They make a pulley system and he's lowering the people who have a little hard time uh, getting up. There's this 15 foot kind of drop. And some of the more experienced climbers could climb down. But some of the other people due to time had to be lowered down through the pulley system. And so as he's lowering the last person down this 15 foot drop, the guy gets struck by lightning right on his head. And he jumps up and his whole body freezes like this and he squeezes down and his whole body uh, is flexing and condensing as hard as, you know, he tells me it's his, it's, it was just like a rock. Uh, and he starts running and he runs right off this 15 foot cliff and he falls down and he gets up and he runs another 100 yards while these people are watching this guy who just got struck by lightning. Goes 100 yards, falls down, or goes 100 yards, pulls his pants down and then falls down, collapses and is totally out of it. And I asked him, I said, why did you pull your pants down? And he said, I got struck by lightning, man. I don't know why I pulled my pants down. Don't focus on that part of the story. And when he had had crunched so tightly down, he had broken his own ribs. He had pierced his lung and his lung had collapsed. The air was seeping out so that it was was going into his chest cavity and putting pressure on on his left lung. So here's the leader of the expedition who is both powerless because he is exhausted and powerless because he is physically broken. He can do nothing to get himself off that mountain. He needed somebody else to. They called in uh, a helicopter. Or they brought him down. You know, the people picked him up, brought him down a little bit, called in a helicopter, and they had to, they, you know, they take like a little knife and they, they jab, just like you see, jab it into his side and let the air out so that his lung could, could reinflate and then he could start breathing again. Uh, so anyway, the guy's okay. He's got this gray spot on the back of his head where he got struck, and it's still there to this day. It's just it's the most bizarre thing. But. So if my friend at the, at the bottom of this hill, if he were able to comprehend what was going on in that moment, he would have felt like Mary, powerless, hopeless, in despair with his situation. For us, we can be confronted with those same kinds of circumstances. Whether it's a a sin that we keep returning to over and over and over again. Or a family situation that seems to be unrepairable. Or race relations which seem to take one step forward and two steps back. We are confronted with difficult circumstances All of the time. Yet, I tell you, our king loves to work in those circumstances. In fact, God's strength is most clearly shown in our weakness. It's because when we are in our weakest spot, the only hope that we have is God. As we look around at our circumstances today, everybody is scratching their heads going, how in the world is this going to be fixed? Without God, it won't be. It is only through God that these circumstances can be changed. It is in the dark and despair that the light of Christ shines so bright. It is our king who has the power, and he is not stingy with giving it out. And see, our powerlessness also points us to the one who has all power. 
If we find ourselves in a situation where we can't seem to get out of it, it's showing us that we have a need that we ourselves cannot meet. And it begs for us to reach out to the one who can meet it. You see, God gives us a king, the one who has all power, so that our humanity and all that was lost in our sin might be restored. So we've seen that God restores humanity through his grace, and we've seen that God restores humanity through his king. But what about his people? Do we even matter in this thing? What is our role? Are we just passive recipients of what's going on here, or can we actually make a difference? So let's take a look again at the text, keep going, and see what we can find, uh, see if God answers this question for us in his word. In verse 34 and forward, we see the Trinity very clearly at work. Now, there's some who might argue that Scripture is not uh, entirely clear about there being a Trinity, but here we are in Luke 1, you know, the first chapter of this book, and very clearly we see that the Father sends the angel. There's a plan, and he sends the angel to go tell this to Mary, and there's going to be a baby that's born through the Holy Spirit overshadowing. The Spirit is going to overshadow, and the one who is born is the Son of God, the one who is going to sit on the throne of David, the one who has all power. And the Trinity here, as we see, they are all working together. They are all working so that this plan of redemption might come about. Every part of their role matters, and so they do it. And This is exactly what we see with Mary. She is presented with a task of carrying a child outside of marriage in first century Judaism. And this is no small task. If you can imagine the shame she could have felt, the loneliness, the isolation, how many people would have laughed at her and said, You were visited by what? And yet, we get these words from Mary. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary's faithful obedience here in the face of very difficult circumstances and hardship matters. It matters. We are blessed here today because of Mary's faithful response. We are blessed because of what her actions were during this time. Her participation in God's plan to fix all that was broken has real consequences. So there is a a local phone, internet, and TV provider here in St. Louis, and I won't name names, Uh, but if you have a problem with your bill or service and you need to call them, uh, you may end up with a headache. And the first person you talk to, right, so you call and you want to tell them the problems you're having, the first person you talk to can almost never do anything for you. Their authority is very limited. And so, once you politely speak to this person for five minutes or so, who do you ask to speak to? Let me speak to your supervisor. And we want to do that because the supervisor can make a change. The supervisor can make a difference. And as Christians today, my fear is that we think we are the first person to answer the phone at this, at this company. 
that the authority God has given us is so limited that it almost doesn't even matter what we do. That this is all God's deal. God is so sovereign, what we do is not going to have any real implications. And that could not be further from the truth. God delights to use his people in his redemptive plan. God loves to use his broken people so that the world might be restored. Mary's service to the Lord is indispensable in this story of redemption. God has chosen to honor human beings by allowing them to participate in a meaningful way in his plan. Mary here is not the Savior. The one who is born is the Savior. But Mary is an agent of redemption. She is participating, and you and I get to participate as well. We can tend to think that our salvation is the end of the story. We're saved, done deal, we go to heaven, we'll let this thing go away, and whatever happens, happens. But we can see from the story here that salvation, our receipt of grace, is the beginning of our story. It's at that moment that we get to begin to participate in God's redemptive plan for this world, for his people. We are a part of this. And there is nothing more meaningful than that. And so, God has given us his grace to restore our humanity. God has given us his king to restore humanity. And God has given us his servants to restore humanity. So that we, as the people of God, can be fully restored to what we were intended to be. At the beginning of the story, Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. I tell you, believer in Christ, the day is coming where you will stand before your Lord Jesus Christ and he will say to you, greetings, you who are highly favored. And in that moment, you will know what it is to have your humanity restored. Pray with me. Father God, how good your plan is for us. How wonderful your grace is. Lord, there is nothing bigger than your mercy for us. We pray today that your word and this message was an encouragement to us. Lord, we pray that it would remain with us as we go, that it helps to shape our minds and our hearts as we become people who own the fact that you have called us to be your servants. Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior and for making all of this possible. And it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.